And so we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our King and our Redeemer. Amen. So we're continuing uh, this morning with uh, our series on the marks of mission. Last week, Peter spoke to us about how mission involves telling. It involves something that we talk to other people about. Uh, and we've heard uh, very powerfully from Lee this morning how uh, that works in somebody's life, how you hear something and you've got something to say because of uh, what you have received. And the second mark that we're talking about uh, is the mark of teaching. So as we go through these, there are five words beginning with T. We've had to tell and to teach, which actually could be expressed in several other ways. Um, to learn uh, is a very important part, as we've seen with uh, The Apprentice. Uh, to be nurtured, to be trained. There's a whole lot of things that go on uh, in this area of teaching. And I'm going to use this morning uh, the example of, of Jesus in his teaching. And so we ask the question, what did Jesus do in his teaching with his disciples, with his apprentices. And uh, here's one thing that uh, immediately makes us think. This is just before the reading that we had from John 14, but John 13, and it's a picture that's familiar to us. It's here in our premises, and it is Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So what's going on here in terms of teaching? It is doing, isn't it? It is something that Jesus is doing to show what it means to serve other people. It's not just a, a theory of leadership, uh, servant leadership or whatever, but it is actually an example. And the disciples were shocked, but they learned from that, didn't they? They learned what it meant to serve other people. So there's teaching going on through doing. And in John 14, which we read, which uh, Vicky read to us, um, we're talking about here something very, very powerful, I think. As it begins, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Jesus is talking to a group of people who were troubled. They were worried. They were confused. Jesus had begun to say to them that he was going to leave them. How are the apprentices going to survive without the teacher there? And in the context of that feeling, which I think all of us have at some time for some reason in our lives, Jesus says, don't be troubled, but trust in God. And then he goes on to talk about how there's a lot of room in his father's house and he's going to prepare a place. And sometimes we talk about this when people are coming close to death or perhaps when people have died, we think about what happens after death. And as you know, one of the things I'm involved in is chaplaincy work at Edinburgh's Hospital. And sometimes when people are coming close to death, this is exactly the passage that I would turn to, to, to share that together. But I don't think it's primarily about what happens after we die. It is nice. And I love this phrase. My father's house has plenty of room. There's room for everybody. But the main thing, I think, is to give us assurance that 
everything is in God's hands. That's why we can trust, because he, God, is trustworthy. And so Jesus is saying, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. And you can be assured. You don't need to be worried. Am I going to be good enough? Am I going to blow it? The disciples actually did blow it, didn't they? We know that happened, and Jesus knew that it would happen. But he's still saying to them, you're going to be with me. You're not going to be people who blow it, and then I say, out, you're fired. That's not Jesus' language. It is the language of embrace, of taking people to himself. And it's a really important topic, I think, this topic that we sometimes talk about as assurance, because it is actually about who God is. He is trustworthy, and who Jesus is. As Lee said, he died for us. So it's, it's not us trying to be the people who manufacture as much faith as possible. It is the people who have open hands to receive the gifts that God has for us, the gift of new life. But there are people who really worry about these issues. Is my trust enough? Is my faith enough? Might I do something wrong? And when I was uh, at university and uh, in Aberdeen and north of Scotland, there were people who really struggled with this. I met them, and it particularly came up at communion. Uh, because in some of the Presbyterian churches, I'm sure this doesn't happen much now, but we're talking a long time ago, uh, where before you went to communion, you had a little interview as to whether you were okay for communion. And if you were okay, you got this token, which actually says, you can't quite read it, this do in remembrance of me. So it's a communion token. So this is to say, you know, you're, you're going to be able to come to communion if you have the, the token. And... Um, it seemed to me in that atmosphere that it didn't really foster this assurance. It fostered lots of doubts. It fostered people staying away from communion. Whereas, in fact, what I read is that Jesus wants us to come to him. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Don't stay away. Come. And... Uh, I heard a, a professor of theology describe one of these groups, which sometimes could be quite narrow in other views as well. Uh, and he said, there, amongst this group of people, uh, there are people who are not sure if they're going to heaven. I, I'll just go with the accent for a minute. They're not sure if they're going to heaven or not, but they are perfectly sure that nobody else is going to heaven. So... You've got this kind of doubt and, you know, keep as many people out as possible because they're not good enough. But to me, is that God? Is that the God I believe in? No. He wants to say, there's plenty of room. Come. And that's the message of the good news. So, trusting, being in that relationship. And we sometimes again think about teaching as being Lots of rules that we have to learn. And, of course, there are things that Jesus taught. The Sermon on the Mount, and we have the Ten Commandments. We have things that we can call rules. But actually, for me, relationship with God is much more important. If we have that relationship right, then things flow out of that. The things we want to do are the things that God's Spirit is leading us. Again, as Lee said in his testimony... And it's a danger of us adding 
too many rules in some of my study of, of uh, the history of Christianity. It's amazing how many rules have been created. Uh, a rule in the past, I don't think I hear much about this now, about you shouldn't go to the theater if you're a real Christian because the theater's got some nasty things uh, that happen. And I read about one guy who he finally plucked up courage to go to the theater, even though he'd been told the rule is you don't go to the theater. And he got to the theater, and what it said was the orchestra pit. And in his mind, this was he was going down this terrible slope, down and down into the pit. So, of course, he didn't go to the theater in the end at all. But um, that, those are rules that we don't need because there's nothing in the Sermon on the Mount about whether you should go to the theater or not. We've got freedom to think about things and to work out things for ourselves. So we're not adding many, many rules, but there is, of course, wisdom uh, to be gained and uh, great wisdom uh, from the teaching of uh, the Scriptures, of the New Testament, and the teaching of Jesus. But above all, to look at all this in the context of what can foster my relationship with God and my relationship with Jesus. And it is not primarily about how much I do. Uh, we've got a new little granddaughter, uh, Janice and I, in Sweden with our daughter and son-in-law who live in Sweden. We've been over to see the granddaughter and, um, and she's wonderful and all that, but you can take all that for granted. Um, but uh, as she grows up, in that atmosphere. It's an atmosphere of love. She's surrounded by love. And she will trust her parents more against candor. But it's not because she kind of looks at these parents and thinks, hmm, wonder if I can trust them, and kind of thinks about that in that way. It is just a trust that is drawn out of her, isn't it? By the love of the parents, by the atmosphere in which she's growing up. So, we are in the atmosphere of God's love. And it is that that enables us to flourish. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And in that atmosphere, people can ask questions, as they did here in our reading. Uh, Thomas and Philip, they're all there sitting around, and here's this great teaching about, you know the way to the Father, and so on and so forth. And Thomas says, but hey, I don't really understand this. It sounds great, but what's it really all about? We don't know. And out of these conversations, and this is another way of teaching, a very important way of teaching, is to be able to talk together. That's why we're emphasizing and seeing the, the, the small groups in our church growing a lot, because that's a, a place where people can talk together. And and Thomas asks his questions, and Philip asks his questions. And out of that, did you notice in the reading, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's really a well-known verse. But it didn't come out of Jesus having a prepared message. I'm going to talk to them today about how I am the way, the truth, and the life. It came out of a question. It came out of Thomas saying, hey, what's all this about? And out of that comes something amazing in the way of teaching. So, teaching in this atmosphere of relationship and fostering relationship, we can ask 
these questions of each other and we can grow together. I think that's fantastic. And just at the end of our reading, uh, I think there's another dimension. So there's the dimension of uh, the relationship and yet the questioning. And then at the end, I think a challenge that Jesus brought to this group of disciples. He said, and it really is a pretty huge challenge. I tell you, all you who have faith in me will do the works I have been doing and even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. And I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Ask anything in my name. But this is about being disciples. This is about going Jesus' way. It's not that we can just suddenly ask for billion pounds or something like that. It is actually asking that we might be more like Jesus, that we might be the people who do the works that he did. And the greater works is that we're spreading these around the world. The church of Jesus Christ spreads around the world in a greater way than ever happened in Jesus' time in that little part of Palestine. So greater things can happen, but also Powerful changes happen in people's lives as we pray and as we get close to Jesus. And I want to finish with an example from uh, the story of the church of somebody whose life was deeply impacted by the message that we're talking about today. His name is Dirk Willems. Last week, um, Peter quoted from Menno Simons, uh, a Christian leader of a group that later became known as the Mennonites uh, because of the influence of Menno. And um, the guy who's bending down like that, uh, Dirk Willems, was one of those, those group in the Netherlands. And the story behind this is that uh, he had been imprisoned for his faith. Dirk had been imprisoned uh, because he, had, he was somebody who wanted to follow Jesus and uh, people wanted to stop him witnessing and sharing and talking. Uh, and uh, so he was put in prison. And then he managed to escape. And it was in winter, as you can see, that this is the ice, and he was able to escape across this frozen area of water. But chasing Dirk was the prison warder. And he's the guy who's uh, down there in the water. So Dirk's going across... The prison warder's going across, Dirk gets the other side, and the prison warder falls into the water. What would you have said? What would I have said? Ah, oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Uh, I've been vindicated. Judgment has fallen. Well, actually, the deep impact on this man Dirk's life of what it meant to do the works of Jesus, to follow the costly way of Jesus, to love your enemies, to pray for them. And he had been praying for these people around him, his persecutors. He turned back, and this is this famous picture, it's called Dirk Willems, turn back. Turned back and uh, pulled his persecutor out of the water. It'd be lovely to think that there was a real reconciliation, that they just embraced one another and Oh, great ending to the story, wouldn't it be? He was rearrested, he was taken back into prison, and he died in prison. 
So there's no necessity of saying everything is going to be okay because it doesn't always work out that way. But what he had done was he had taken seriously the teaching of Jesus and the example of Jesus. And sometimes that's a very costly thing to do. But whatever it is, because every person's story is different, let's ask ourselves this morning, in this atmosphere of the love of God, let's just give ourselves to him again with trust. Of course we've got questions. Let's not hide away from the questions. But let's also take the challenge of Jesus. There's a life to be lived, a life in which greater things can happen if we pray and if we are faithful. Amen.